Welcome to Let's Talk Seniors. Thanks to Anglican Care. In today's episode, Michelle and I talk about the importance of reducing your risk of stroke and heart disease with Dr. John Ward. Dr. Ward is a prominent geriatrician in the Hunter region and is known for his genuine commitment to the health and well-being of seniors and their carers. He is committed to a collaborative approach to assessments and understanding a person's situation. And today's topic is very timely given that it is National Stroke Week. Uh, Welcome and thanks for joining us today, um, Dr. Ward. It's so great to have you back. Thank you. Let's focus on strokes first and then we'll move on to heart disease after. I think that a lot of people, a lot of seniors out there may not exactly know what a stroke is and how debilitating it can be. So if we could just say, um, if you could just talk us through what is a stroke and how debilitating can it be to a person's quality of life if they survive the stroke? Okay, well, the stroke gives you the idea in the name itself of what it is. It's a sudden event. But the thing that distinguishes a stroke from other sudden brain events like epilepsy or migraine is that it's related to your vascular system. So it's a sudden blockage or hemorrhage in your vascular system, mainly your arterial system. Now, there are different types of stroke. So about... 85% of strokes are due to blockage of blood vessels. And of those, about 80% are due to a narrowing of the blood vessel within the brain, Mm -hmm. or at least going directly into the brain. And the other 15 to 20% are bits of plaques that have broken off from a more proximal area, like the heart or the large vessels going away from the heart, that go up into the brain. We call these emboli. So the, the ones that are due to the blockage for blood vessels are called thrombotic strokes, and the ones that are due to a breaking off a piece of plaque are called embolic strokes. The third type of stroke is when there's a bleed into the brain, either from a aneurysm mm-hmm. or an, due to high blood pressure, when it's just too much for an artery and you get a bleed into the brain, and they make up about... 10, 15% of strokes. And in general, they're usually a bit more serious. So that's what a stroke is. It's related to the circulatory system and it's a sudden event. Now, we used to say in the old days that if a person had a stroke, about 30% of people would die, about 30% of people would recover completely back to their former state, and the other sort of 40% would be disabled, would have a disability. But now there are sort of modern treatments of stroke that we didn't have in the old days. We can give clot-busting drugs like we do for heart attacks. And we can actually do surgery of putting up little balloons or clearing out the um, blockage in a major blood vessel. So that's increased enormously the number of people who recover completely from stroke. So if we get people early, and that's why we talk about the fact that you've got to get to hospital quickly... Mm and we can do one of these procedures, then a lot of those people recover completely. If you survive a stroke, your disability could be very minor. For example, let's talk about myself. I've had two different types of stroke, and I've recovered completely. They they were very minor. And still playing tennis, John. Still playing tennis, (laughs) Um, But if it's a severe stroke, the disability can be quite severe. And so... People can be left completely immobilised or could have a weakness down one side or a problem with speech or a problem with vision or a problem with balance. So there can be any sort of disability. But the thing about the disabilities from a stroke 
is that they will recover for about six months after a stroke. So it's enormously important to have rehabilitation and then to um, be positive about your chances of improving for at least six months after a stroke. Share Anglican Cares Let's Talk Seniors on your Facebook page. Your friends will dig us. And so, John, what risk factors increase a senior's likelihood of having a stroke? And is a doctor able to calculate your risk during a routine appointment? Okay. Well, the first one is probably age, and the mm. doctor can't do no, too much No, can't help you with that, that unfortunately. Doc- Maybe in another 50 years, the John. Do- the doctor can measure it, if nothing else. The second thing is there's a genetic component to strokes. Mm-hmm. So if you have a family history of heart disease or high blood pressure or some of the other risk factors. Mm, I was going to ask about blood pressure. So high blood pressure is a sort of indicator that you yes. could be susceptible to a stroke. High blood pressure okay. for two reasons. One is that high blood pressure stresses the vessels mm-hmm. and, and causes blockage. And the second, of course, is that blood pressure can be so high that it can actually cause a hemorrhage. But one of the biggest risk factors for stroke in older people is an abnormal heart rhythm. Now, this is called atrial fibrillation, and it's when the atrium, the top chambers of the heart, are not pumping regularly. They've gone into this fibrillatory rhythm, and they're not effectively pumping and helping the lower chambers to pump blood. Now, because they're not pumping regularly, it allows blood to pool in the chambers, and so you can get thromboses, and that's where a little piece can break off and mm-hmm. go up into the brain. So one of the most important risk factors is atrial fibrillation because that's something we can do something about. Mm-hmm. Now, this affects about 10 to 20% of older people, depending on age, it increases with age. But if we can recognise it, and it's very important to recognise it, it's very simple, you just do an ECG and identify it, then we can put people on these blood thinning drugs, and we have now wonderful blood thinning drugs. We no longer rely on warfarin where you've got to have regular blood tests. We've got these uh, new oral anticoagulants where you don't need blood tests, and um, we can put people on them, and that substantially reduces their risk of having a stroke from atrial fibrillation. And, John, would you know if you had that irregular heart? Like, would you know that yourself? Mostly you do, Mm. particularly early on, because you'll probably go in and out of atrial fibrillation, what we call paroxysmal sort of current. So you're usually quite aware of that. Um, And uh, but once it's established, you may not be aware of it if it's not. Usually it's fast, so you're aware of it because Mm, it's fast. Yeah, your heart's actually. You get short of breath. Mm -hmm. Your exercise tolerance reduces, but occasionally you may may not be aware of it. The other thing, important thing to say about atrial fibrillation is that you can reduce it by exercise and by losing weight. So if you lose about, say, 10 kilos in weight, you'll halve your risk of atrial fibrillation. If you exercise at least, say, 30 minutes a day, you'll halve your risk. So wow, that's incredible figures, yes. isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Michelle and I, the look of horror on our faces during this conversation, we're wanting to do anything we can to avoid this. And what, are the, what lifestyle changes can seniors make to reduce their risk of stroke, John? Well, we haven't talked about some of the other risk factors first, and mm-hmm. that's smoking. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, bad, bad, bad. And diabetes. Mm-hmm. and high lipid levels or cholesterol levels. Mm-hmm. So the lifestyle changes you can make is firstly to stop smoking. That's mm-hmm. incredibly important. To exercise regularly and to try and eat sensibly and limit your weight because that reduces your risk of 
atrial fibrillation and to prevent or reduce the severity of type 2 diabetes, which is the common diabetes that older people get, Mm -hmm. which is not due to your pancreas failing and not making enough insulin. It's due to the fact that the insulin you do produce, which is sufficient, is not working properly. And we know that there's a preceding phase before this called impaired glucose tolerance that will go on for some years where your sugars are just a little high but not in the diabetic range. And if you change your lifestyle during that period, then you can reduce your chances of going on to diabetes by about 60%. Mm. So a sensible diet, losing weight and regular exercise will substantially reduce your risk of going on to diabetes. And if you do go on to diabetes, will reduce your risk of having high blood sugars and having a stroke. Are you ready to downsize your home? You're done with the endless maintenance and mowing the lawn? With Anglican Care's Retirement Villages, you can relax and live amongst friends carefree. Discover how at anglicancare.com.au. We always feel like we've got to get fit and healthy after our talks with John, don't we? I mean, we're pretty good, but we have a heightened sense. John, just back to that, is salt something as well that people need to be mindful of how much salt's in their diet? Well, salt's important for hypertension. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to have some salt in your diet. Have some salt, yep. but, but not excessive salt. Mm-hmm. But probably more important even than salt maybe is refined carbohydrates and sugar. So if we could substantially reduce the mm-hmm. amount of sugar yes, and also the again. amount of trans fats. So, you know, those sh- shiny, yellow, beautiful smelling things you see in the takeaway food stores yeah. that you make your mouth water. Yes. Well, <laughs> I've got a vision Stay right away now. from them. <laughs> try, and, try and resist them as much as you can because they're certainly not good for you. So a sensible diet that limits as much as you can of sugar and refined carbohydrates, get rid of the trans fats, um, is is the sort of diet that's going to minimise your risk of stroke or mm. heart disease. Absolutely. So, John, knowing how to recognise if someone is having a stroke can save someone's life, as some treatments have a short window of opportunity. That said, what should we look out for and what do you do if you think your partner, friend or you are having a stroke? Okay. We divide up strokes into what we call the anterior circulation of the heart of the brain which is basically the cortical areas the sort of top parts of your brain and then the posterior circulation which is the brain stem the lower parts and the signs of stroke depend entirely on which area of your brain is involved now the common strokes are the anterior circulation strokes and these early signs of these might be weakness of one arm or one leg or or both, weakness of one side of your face, a change in your speech, and it's usually what we call dysphasia. That is that you try and get the right word out and you can't, rather than saying the right words and they're slurred. That's mm. usually a posterior okay. circulation stroke, so it's it's a difficulty of getting your words out. It may be a sensory change. It may be a numbness or paresthesia in, in a limb, or it may be a visual sort of change. If it's a posterior circulation stroke, it's more likely things like balance or nausea or dizziness, what we call vertigo or vertigo, depending on how you say it, where the room spins around or you spin around, or a loss of consciousness. Now, if you can identify or pinpoint the time of a stroke, uh, then it, it's wonderful if that person can get to hospital within, say, three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Because if you can, then they can think about doing something to 
reverse the stroke completely, as I said, by using the clot-busting drugs or by, by some surgery. Unfortunately, a lot of strokes occur in the early hours of the night, just sort of after midnight. Early so hours. when you're asleep, John? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So often people wake up and realise, or the, the spouse wakes up and realises that have a Things stroke. aren't right. And that's many hours later, John, yeah, I suspect. Well, it, it might be. You don't know then mm. how long it's been. So that makes it difficult. But if you can, uh, you know, that's only a, a number of strokes. Um, you know, a lot still occur at it in the during the day or the early evening when you can get people to hospital quickly. And you call an ambulance, John? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, immediately. John. Well, unless you can get them in the car and get them there because yeah. that's going to be a lot I quicker. I say triple zero. Um, yeah, it depends how severe the stroke's been. I mean, obviously, it's a severe stroke and they're simply unable to walk. You're probably not going to get them in the car. But if they can still walk, uh, then there's no reason why you can't take them quickly yourself to the hospital. And, John, before we move on to heart disease, can I just ask you, what's the difference between a TIA or a mini stroke and a, a proper stroke? It's really a term that's probably disappearing a little bit. Okay. Um, we talk, usually talked about TIAs, which sort of resolve quickly within minutes or hours, and reversible neurological deficits, which resolve within 24 hours, and then strokes, which go on beyond that. But in fact, they're all strokes. Oh. So um, it's, it's a false description of things that are whole continuum of cerebrovascular Events, or even that, even that word is, people are not wanting to talk about that because they like more to talk about strokes so that people get the idea that this is a sudden event, it's severe, and you need to get help quickly. So even if it's a TIA and it resolves fairly quickly, don't then say, well, that's okay, get to the doctor or the hospital, um, because now we will immediately investigate those. You would have you an ECG to make sure you're not in this irregular heart rhythm that we can prevent further strokes. We'll want to have a look at your carotid arteries to see whether there's blockages there. We want to check your blood pressure, your blood sugar and your blood cholesterol levels and look at your other risk factors like smoking. And, and is stress a risk factor, John? Did we talk hmm? about is stress? Can stress a risk factor? Yeah. Probably not. Okay. Um, I mean, stress doesn't help anything. Mm. For example, would you say... Are there more strokes during the COVID time? I'm not sure that there would necessarily be mm-hmm. um, unless people are smoking more or... Yes, um, they're talking pressure. about people are drinking more, that's for sure. I've yes, read quite a few yeah. articles about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. For all your aged care needs, choose Anglican Care, where every moment matters. Well, if we move on to heart disease now, John, um, what is it and how does it differ to a heart attack and how do seniors know if they're at risk of heart disease? Okay, well, heart disease usually comes in three forms. There's those where there's a blockage to the arteries to the muscle of the heart, and that's a heart attack or some variant of what we call ischemic heart disease. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then the other forms of heart attack is when there's a failure of the pump so that you your heart just simply doesn't pump properly as as it should and you tend to get swelling of your legs and shortness of breath and a decrease in your exercise tolerance. And the third form is when there's a problem with your heart rhythm, and we've already talked a little bit about this in terms of atrial fibrillation, but there are other forms of heart rhythm abnormalities or arrhythmias. So they're the three forms. As far as a heart attack, that's, that's a form of ischemic heart disease, and again, that's a whole continuum 
from just going out and doing some exercise and feeling a certain amount of um, central chest pain or mm-hmm. shortness of breath or some other thing that suggests, and we call this angina. And then it can go on to continuous angina or and then eventually a full-blown heart attack. Now, that usually in a younger person is fairly obvious, um, if you've ever had one. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you certainly have no doubt about Yeah, what, what you, you, you know what's happening. You know what's happening. But in older people, it can actually be fairly silent. And in women, it can be silent. So it might be just something like a cough or shortness of breath or a bit of um, dizziness or something like that. So if it's some new symptoms occurs, particularly when you're exercising, mm-hmm. it's important to go to your doctor. Yeah, it sounds like it could be a bit confusing. Yeah. Some of those symptoms you might oh, yeah. not link to a heart attack. Very conf- Yes, very confusing. And the important thing is that if this is a new symptom you're experiencing, particularly you know when you're exercising, it could be just a bit of shortness of breath, a funny feeling in your sort of chest that's not pain, um, cough, uh, or even a bit of dizziness or a feeling that your heart is racing, it needs to be checked out. It needs to be checked out. And, John, are the lifestyle changes similar to that of a, a stroke that could reduce a senior's risk of developing heart disease? Yes, very. The same vascular risk factors okay. are the same for heart disease and stroke. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the same system because your circulatory system, your arterial system, diffuses the mm. whole of your So body. exercise, healthy living, no yeah. smoking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And finally, John, if a senior listening wants to know their risk of either a stroke or heart disease, should they visit their GP? Yes, I think so, um, because the GP can have a look at all of these risk factors and particularly the one big risk factor we talked about before with regard to stroke is atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we find that, as I mentioned before, this Prevalence of atrial fibrillation rises with age, but the use of these blood thinning drugs drops with age. So there's still a tendency to think because we, maybe it's an ageist attitude, maybe it's still a bit of a discrimination because of the idea of warfarin that people didn't really like, that as you get older, particularly if you get over your 80s and 90s, um, that maybe these drugs are dangerous. But in fact, we know that probably the benefit of these drugs far outweighs the danger of them. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to treat everybody the same regardless of age. Sometimes we can be a bit too aggressive with drugs for blood pressure, certainly drugs for cholesterol and lipids. There's probably too many of those being used in very elderly people. But these blood thinning drugs, I think, are critical if you're in atrial fibrillation. Okay, John. And we can always reduce the dose of these drugs for very old people. So we usually halve the dose. And while your doctor's assessing you, John, I guess he's checking your blood pressure and other your cholesterol. cholesterol and all yep. those important factors too. Yep. Okay, John. Well, that was all great advice as always. We always love talking to you. Uh, as you know, because you've been one of our special guests quite a few times now, we have a lucky diff for our guests. So we'd like you to open yours and let us know what's in there, John. Usually yours are pretty health and fitness oriented. We should have got something tennis related, Kylie. Yeah, I know. John's come straight from his tennis game today. My wife loves the rummy cub. Oh, Oh, does does she? she? That's great. Well, this looks like a book. This is exactly for me. (laughs) That was a well-wrapped one, Michelle. Oh, Oh, right. You haven't read that, have you, John? I'm I'm a big fan of Richard Flanagan, so I'm a very big fan. 
Okay, what's the name of the book? The book's called The Narrow Road to the Deep North, which is all about... um, uh, It refers to a road that a famous Japanese poet, Bushido, I think his name was, um, took as he was writing his poetry. I think Michelle's read it. It comes oh, highly it recommended. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah. Oh, and enjoy, John. It's about Flanagan's father being in a POW war camp. Mm. Thanks again, John. We look forward to chatting to Liam Tobin, solicitor of Baker Love, in our next informative podcast, Wills and the Must Knows About Estate Planning. Do you have any topics you want Kylie and Michelle to discuss? Get in touch by emailing Let's Talk Seniors at AnglicanCare.com.au.